the RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com. And you're very welcome to the RT Rugby Podcast as we look back on the weekend just gone in the Six Nations. Another win for Ireland, but uh, how much do we actually learn from the Italy game? England just about scraped past Wales and France look as good as ever. Delighted to have Johnny Holland, Fiona Hayes, Neil Tracy with me. You're all welcome, gents and ladies. Um, Johnny, look, we're not going to spend a huge amount of time talking about the Italy game because it was shambolic for loads of different reasons. It's well documented. Um, I guess, what did we learn? And I know it's not an easy question because maybe the answer is very little, but... Is there, what was your main takeaway from, from watching that game? Um, yeah, it was, it was a hard one. I think like you've been involved in those games when you're coaching, when you're playing, stuff like that. And it's one of those ones where it's a lose-lose because like you put points on the board like that, no one gives you the respect for it. And then if you look at the frustrations that kind of came about in the game, I don't know if it's one of those ones that you really analyse deeply. I don't think England will be looking at it too deeply. Um, you don't learn a whole lot about it. I think, unfortunately... You learned that James Hume was possibly a little bit nervous, a couple of balls down. Um, you learned that Robbie Henshaw had a HIA. He didn't look great um, when you see that on the top of the screen. So what we know about him, I'm not really sure at the moment. Hopefully the week extra will will, uh, will suit him. But, um, you know, I don't think we've, we've learned a whole lot other than the fact that it's very hard to play against a pumped up 13-man side and they will defend um, a lot more than what you think so. Ireland kind of going wide, wide and trying to finish on the first phase. I think you've learned that you can't do that. Like not in an international game with uh, with a very passionate team that won't won't really lie down, even though you get fifty seven points against you. But I think it was very difficult. Yeah, I, I guess, and it's, it sounds you know strange to say that that it's difficult for you to play against a team with thirteen men. But I understand Johnny's point. It's been made several times since. I think even Andy Farrell used the word. Look, when you're up against a Kamikaze defensive, nothing to lose. It just creates chaos. And the way that Ireland have been building, I guess, since November is that they base their game plan around structure and chaos doesn't really fit into that. Is that the best way of describing what happened? Perfect, do. I think the chaos ensued when we, exactly like Johnny said, just tried to go wide immediately. It was almost like we saw the space and Ireland tried to go there. So that's, I mean, 22 handling er, uh, handling errors from Ireland is very unusual. Um, so I think, although there isn't a lot to learn, I think they definitely saw a few areas where they need to tighten up. I mean, you can even looking at a ruck, I mean, we know how defined that Italian team were, but to, to have five ruck penalties conceded is, is crazy for this Irish team, especially from what we've seen. I know we saw it creeping in a little bit against France, but I definitely didn't expect that against that Italian team, especially 13 men. Yeah, 100%. Neil, like as, as a prop here, and I'm going to hold my hands on the table, right? Props are a position. I hadn't a breeze about this real goal. I'm actually really glad that I wasn't even anywhere near a microphone on Sunday because I wouldn't have had a clue about what was going on. I think probably took a little bit of comfort from the fact that the referee didn't seem to have the full grasp of either before he talked to his officials. But, I mean, what was your sense of, of the farce that was the 13-man room? Yeah, like it was, it was really strange. I was lucky enough now, we were up in the stand and we had like, you know, the, the ref link earpieces so we could actually hear the conversation going on between, uh, between the referee and his assistants and... Yeah, Lamaro, yeah. the Italian captain, and Peter Romani trying to explain the situation. And in fairness to him, like he he was absolutely crystal clear about what the what the law was, and mm-hmm. this is this has to happen, and this is why it has to happen. And in fairness, his assistants were very good to him as well on that. But what I think it just showed up was the confusion around the ground and the fact that there were tens of thousands of people who didn't really understand what was happening. They didn't understand what the delay was happening down on the pitch. And you could sense the confusion around the stadium when they saw Halafihi walking off. And I think it was the stadium announcer just said, Italy are now down to 13 players. And everyone around the ground is going, yeah. why, why? Like, 
I'd say a lot of them were, were wondering, was he actually also red carded for doing something that, you know, we somehow missed? Um, so that's one thing I think it actually just showed up that there needs to be a better engagement really with the crowd as well to give them a sense of, because rugby has a lot of complicated laws. And look, I know you can say ourselves, the, the media and stuff, we need to be more aware of them and stuff like that. But you'd have to be... Uh, uh, do you know what I was going through my head? To have known that, or you just would have had to be involved in the game where that happened before, if you were to have known about it. Recently, somebody's made the point about we should be doing more halftime team shows and you know jazz up the game, which I don't agree with that at all, like like the NFL. But if you want to take something from the NFL, which they are very good at, is the referees' open communication in the stadium on pass interference, offside, whatever, you know, whatever it is that is communicated to the crowd in the stadium, so everyone understands what the penalty is for and why it's been given. And I, I don't think it would be impossible for that to happen in rugby or would it? I don't know. What's your view on that? I, st- I certainly would, particularly for internationals top level club matches where you know the referees are mic'd up anyway and they're mic'd mm. up onto tv i there should anyway it should be reasonably simple to have a system where in those moments where the referee says time off and they go to tmo that's when a microphone is turned on a fader gets put up and it goes yeah. out around the stadium the referee is communicating with his, with his assistants he's speaking to the captains he's speaking to the tmo and you're able to hear that conversation and you're able to hear that reasoning to go along with what you're watching on the big screen of the incident as well. Yeah. And then the referee gives his card. He decides there's nothing to be awarded. Play is restarted. The microphone gets turned off and we go back to play. Like, I think that's, it, it, it doesn't seem too complicated for that to be able to happen no, at big no. stadiums at top level rugby. Exactly. And Fiona, the referee's mic'd up. There is a PA system there. They play music after tries are scored. I mean, everybody at home can hear what the referee's saying. It seems bizarre that the people who paid the most money to be there are the only ones who are left out of the whole conversation. Yeah, that's exactly it. I, I was watching it in the pub, so we were able to go through everything on the, the big screen and people were sending through things on WhatsApp of screenshots of the laws. So I think it took a bit of while, I'd imagine, to go around the stadium. I know a couple of people were up there and hadn't a notion. It was exactly that. They thought for a, a couple of minutes there was a second round after being given so it seems like the perfect idea I love the NFL myself so definitely love that communication and even sometimes looking at when the when there's quick taps on penalties and you're kind of thinking what was that awarded for when you don't when the play resumes on it would be good to to get that over the system where you can get a clear indication because sometimes you can't always see those ref signals yeah I, I think Johnny I'm just imagining a situation you know the referee's in the middle there and he says okay penalty advance 10 meters Peter Mahoney just called Dylan Hartley a prick. Penalty in there. It's just easy. Come in, no problem. You can do it, wrap it up, no, no issue. Yeah, I think it definitely helps. Like, I mean, it does put the referees under a bit more pressure to have that communication then. And like, they're under as much, they're under enough pressure as it is. But I think like, it helps everyone. It maybe just forces them to be better with their communication too. And then everyone understands that it may be less frustration, maybe more yeah. at times. But it is a difficult one. And, you know, understanding more where these decisions come from is definitely a good thing. Yeah, okay, um, Joey Carberry, um, before we kind of move on from Italy as well, I don't want to dwell on it too much, as I say, but Joey Carberry, uh, Johnny, what was your impression of his performance? And again, I don't want to be too critical of him here because it was difficult for everybody in Ireland, it seemed, that I don't want to single him out. But the point has been made again that when Johnny Sexton came on, albeit Italy were tired, there was you know very heavy legs out there, but did seem to be straight away an improvement on the understanding and the lines of running and about the gaps that were open there. What was your assessment of his performance overall? I think he was uncharacteristically poor at goal and like that might have put another bit of a glass on the on the scoreline after all the tries they scored so I, I was I was kind of I wouldn't be disappointed I was disappointed for him that he didn't strike a few more um, conversions because he's been very good in the last well for a year or two now when he's been playing that 
his conversions are really good. His kicking's been really good. So it's disappointing for him in that in that sense. I think he like you know you look at the Marcus Smith comparison with England and like this kind of body language stuff, and you see how for Mike Lowry's try, Carberry pretending to put the ball on his on his toe. Uh, and having that skill in his locker allowed Mike Lowry to get a bit of a an easier run in, albeit he was rapid getting over the line and that's his game. But like, yeah, I suppose like it's a difficult one, I think, from his point of view as well. You're kind of going, am I playing against 14 or 13? How do I manage this? And when you go into those games, like it's it's a funny one. You, you feel nearly selfish for taking the inside shoulder because there seems to be space on the edge and no one wants to come out of that being like, oh, your man was out for himself and he was glory hunting and all this kind of stuff. I remember we played a game against Bar- at Barcelona side with the Munster Academy and... Um, we hockeyed them like it wasn't really a game and it was a, it was a case of whoever took the ball on the inside shoulder and kept taking their own line breaks you're nearly looking at them going past the ball like you know so I think there was a little bit of that creeps into those games where you don't take the decision in front of your face you know you try and kind of force passes out to the, out to the edge and I think it is a difficult management one for someone like Joey in there like obviously Johnny Sexton was off the bench with massive amount of experience tightens up the game a small bit and no, I don't think they. I don't think they were as fluid either as what they'd like to be when when Johnny Sexton came on. But it's easier maybe to assess it, have a conversation with the coaches, go on and just kind of you know bring the game back to to basics. So um, no, at the same time, the first play that Johnny Sexton had, I think they had an exit, um, and that that was one of the first James Hume knock-ons because I think he was supposed to run hard. Uh, there was a forward inside him and they kind of crossed wires and, and the ball gets knocked down inside in the 22. So like it didn't flow immediately either when Johnny Sexton came on. But I do think it's much more difficult than what you would think. Like especially as a 10, you know, you give the pass with the trust that the, the guys on the outside are going to actually look after that ball. And then, you know, Matt Hansen, because it was a front five coming hard off the line, kamikaze style, like Andy Farrell said, Matt Hansen's thinking the space is in the backfield, so I'll kick this ball. You never really build phases, and I think that's the biggest issue with Ireland at the weekend. They didn't build those phases, but again, it is, like Andy Farrell said, a weird situation, and it's hard to play into, you know? Oh, okay, so then, Phil, but on the overall context of things, and you think about how good Ireland were in November series, and they were very, very good at clinical against Wales as well, and I think even the fact that Wales um, beat Scotland since and put it up to England, uh, to Wickham, albeit they weren't great, um, has highlighted how good Ireland were in that opening game, but we have seemed to regress a little bit from that. The France game, obviously, we didn't have Sexton. Italy was what it was. Any worries at all that we're just on a little bit of a downward trajectory, or do you have enough confidence that we can get back to our A game, if you like, at Twickenham on Saturday week? I'd be confident we can get back to that A game. As I said, there's a couple of areas they definitely need to look at. I mean, those uh, rock areas, Andy Farrell would be extremely disappointed that, like, especially as he has coached mm. defence as well. So there's a few things that need to be tightened up. But I would I would say that, you know, we're, we're starting to see combinations come together. There's players kind of putting their hand up. We saw how important, I think, for me, I saw important how important Lowe is on the pitch with that left boot. He gives us an option. So it's about getting those combinations. Hopefully Johnny is fit and you know he can pull the strings I think I think Twickenham's going to be obviously a far different game than this uh, Italy game is going to be far more physical but we showed glimpses of that in the second half in France so I think we take what we brought in that second half with France and bring it on to that uh, game in Twickenham against England Neil what's your back three in your centre if everyone's fit what do you think Andy Farrell will do for the centre combination and your back three I think for I think for England I think specifically for England he'll bring Aki in and I think Henshaw might be the one to drop back to the bench just because he's had ring rows and he's had Aki together for uh, you know the early rounds of the Six Nations. Mm. And even in the first couple of rounds of November as well, they were the, they were the two that were together because Henshaw was only coming back from injury. Uh, that would be the centre I think is probably going to start against England. And mm. I reckon we're probably going to go back to the back three of Keenan Lowe and Conway. Um, 
I think Lowe, again, just because it's England, there's a bit more experience there than Hansen, and he probably has a better boot than Hansen does as well. And I, I think Hansen was probably unfortunate in the in the Italy game that he got pushed out onto the right wing where Ireland, they use their left winger a lot more to come into play and come into midfield and get involved in the game. Whereas, you know, the way they use Andrew Conway a lot of the time out in that right wing is for the more structured stuff, for really good kick chases, which he's absolutely brilliant at, but they don't necessarily see as much ball as someone like James Lowell out in the left wing. Yeah, but John, also as well, that's a really good point because I was I was watching the England back three as well at Twickenham against Wales and they use Max Malins and Freddie Stewart interchangeably as, as almost two 15s and even if you put Nolan into it as well. So Andrew Conway's unbelievable ability under the high ball for a guy who's not the tallest in the world is going to be really important along with Hugo Keenan when they're playing against that English back three, I think. Yeah, I think definitely as well. And I think that's one of the main reasons I'd have Conway in as well because he's like... I, I don't want to say, like, it, it almost feels like you're kind of saying a criticism to say he's, he's a very, very safe player, but he's very, very safe in that regard of up under the high ball. He's also capable yeah. of doing some really, really exciting things when they get him into space and when you get him chasing down a ball and stuff like that as well. So I, I just think he's he's probably an, an all-round player you want for a game like England. It's nothing against Mac Hansen whatsoever, who's done absolutely fantastic in the few caps he's had. Mm-hmm. I just think for a game against England, away at Twickenham, it's probably a place where you want Lowe and Conway on the wings rather than rather than someone like Hansen who's still very, very new in his international career. Which unfortunately probably means Hansen will miss out in the, in the squad altogether if, you, if you're going to have Robbie Henshaw along who can cover a couple of different positions. Uh, watching England as well, Johnny, just to move it on a bit, um, it does seem like, and if you're Andy Farrell, like it's not taking a genius to say this, if you stop Marcus Smith, England are very, very flat and limp, particularly in the back line, centre combination there. They didn't offer a huge amount. If you stop Marcus Smith, and you go at him hard, you potentially nullify England's attack. A huge part of it. Yeah, like you're looking at some of the stats there this morning. Like they're not they're not freely scoring tries aside from that Italy game, obviously, but they're not freely scoring tries at all. And like you know, you look at Manu Tulangi nearly coming back in last week. That's the punch that they're missing. And like we we see at a club level and at, like you know the professional club level that you need to have go forward. And if that's going to be ten times worse at, at international level. So like yeah, Slade and. Uh, Elliot Daly can play ball but when you've got Marcus Smith and those two lads outside him like they're great ball players but you don't really have that punch that England are used to and like normally that's where they bully teams and you see that you know Fiona you spoke about the, the breakdown I think I think England's going to be massively frustrating actually like you know it, it's all this stuff that Ireland will be back they'll, they'll have a good wing over and win in Twickenham but the last time we thought that you know Ireland would steamroll England because we got that confident it was 2019 and it's the end of our World Cup because everything fell to, fell to pieces like and my fear is that you could get something like that again now I hope I'm absolutely wrong and that everything kind of flows again and Johnny Sexton's back in there and Bundyaki seems to be very key to to how that ball moves through the the kind of pod to three in the middle of the field and stuff like that but um yeah I think obviously like Marcus Smith just gets so much ball in his hands he's, he's class to watch and having been a 10 and not being as free-flowing as what he looks. He just wants to get the ball in his hands every time. And that's, that's massively difficult for the defence because you have to keep watching, you have to keep looking, he's going to catch you out. But then when you don't have that punch outside him, like Manny Tulangi, who may be back yet, I don't know, um, you know, they're a little bit easier to stop. But back to Fiona's point on the breakdown, like I told you, uh, Tom Curry, if he's past fit, these lads are going to absolutely destroy the breakdown. And that like that kind of defensive uh, pressure, the breakdown pressure that England tend to put on Ireland, that's what's going to catch them. It's not going to be Ireland's attacking game and it's not going to be their exit off the left foot. And, it's, you know, I think it's going to be the breakdown and the physicality inside in those collisions, you know. Yeah, 100% agree with you. Speaking of fly halves, before we move on, Fiona, if you're Finn Russell watching back that... Um, 
I mean, it's been well documented. It's on Twitter now for everyone to see, like his four steps in attempt to kind of come back and defend uh, for his country um, against France at the weekend. I mean, Gregor Townsend does he have a decision here to make? Does he need to send a message? Look, this is not acceptable. That level of of performance tracking back, and we all know what Finn Russell gives you in attack and how brilliant he is with the ball on occasion. Probably not as consistently as as you'd want to see, but like. Should Gregor Townsend say, look, I'm going to make a statement here. I can't have lads playing like this for Scotland. Should he drop him next time? I think so. I mean, the, the first thing that sticks out about that whole limping back was he was the guy that actually kicked the ball away. He gave exactly. it, he kicked it too deep. So it's his error in the first place. And to not even chase or even look like you're chasing. We Exactly you what you said. He just offers such pizzazz at times when he could be exceptionally frustrating to watch. So as a coach... Whether he's had conversations about his work rate with him before, he definitely needs to be having with him now. I I would imagine that he would say, look, put him on the bench, see if he can come on and bring and, you know, and change his mindset. But for me, that wasn't acceptable. And he's playing over in France. I thought he'd be absolutely hungry to get at the French. It was, it was just, and that was in the first five minutes. It was crazy for me to watch. And if he doesn't drop him, Neil, if he doesn't drop him, he's basically saying, this fella can do what the hell he likes on the pitch and he's pretty much unmovable. That's, that's what Gregor Townsend's saying because, that was the more you watch that, the more you think how much of a disgrace it was. Yeah, and it, it actually just sums up the, the tricky situation Townsend is in as well. Because, like, as you're saying, does he actually just decide now enough is enough and he needs to, to make a point? Well, mm. the last time he tried to make a point when it came to Finn Russell was at the start of the Six Nations a couple of years ago. And, you know, that relationship took probably the guts of a year to repair itself before it eventually got back on track last season. And, you know, does he do that all over again and run the risk of a situation where he's still probably not, he's potentially still at odds with Finn Russell six, seven months out from a World Cup next year. So that's the the tricky situation he finds himself in. I think he probably just has to have some harsh words and maybe call out some, call out some, you know, that bit of play in a team meeting or something like that. I think maybe dropping him might just cause a little bit too much chaos in and around the media where, you know, the story is just going to blow up if Finn Russell gets dropped for the next game. Yeah, and like if you had someone like an Adam Hastings coming through, who you could say, you know, Fiona, like there's a ready-made replacement to step in here and this is going to send a message out. He might be more inclined to drop him versus what's underneath now. The fall-off is probably a little bit too big of a gamble. And if Scotland were to go out and lose the next game, for example, and he's dropped, then Townsend's position becomes all of a sudden, oh, Christ. Yeah, it's the media fury around that, definitely. Yeah. We, everyone loves Finn Russell. We love talking about him. We love looking at what he does. We saw what, what happened the last time. The step up is massive. The, the gap between him and what's underneath is exactly that. That's why he can't do it. If you had someone, if you were looking at it in Ireland, saying you had Joey who's who's chomping at the bit to be getting on that pitch, you'd have no issue in doing that. I, I just don't think there's competition at 10 at the minute in Scotland. Okay, Finn, Russell, Finn, Russell, has the, Finn Russell has the power in that relationship rather than Gregor Townsend, and that's the unfortunate situation he's in. Yeah, but you see, that's exactly it, and he knows it, Neil. Like, he knows he's 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 almost undroppable at the moment, which is why he didn't bother his hold to try to chase back there. <laughs> Townsend's in a position now, but if, he, if Townsend's going to go down with that ship, right, if he's going to go down with ship and say, right, I'm just going to let things go, status quo stays, your man's undroppable, off he goes. Like, he's he's, he's hitching his sail to, 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 to one player. And if it doesn't work out, you know, how much regret will he have then if, if he's the guy who the, who the spotlight falls back on? It's a big gamble for him. It is, but it's probably it's probably the one worth taking in the long run, do you think? Yeah. Pitching yeah. yourself to Finn Russell rather than than what, like Adam Hastings or something like that. Yeah, yeah. As much as as much as Finn Russell maybe potentially comes with a little bit of hassle, I'd probably be more inclined to actually just take the chance and take the Ooh. bad days and pray pray that the good ones are as good as they usually are. 
Yeah, fair enough. What about anyone stop France, Johnny, then, before we uh, move on to other matters? I mean, they looked very good again at times against Scotland. It wasn't a perfect performance, but I mean, I didn't see anything in England on, on Saturday to suggest that they remotely trouble France in Paris. No, and I think like we've probably been calling that since the start of the tournament or long before the tournament. And it's that uh, I think most of world rugby besides their own country they want France to win that World Cup like and this is a stepping stone towards that but you know when you see like Ireland went really well in 2018 ahead of the 2019 World Cup I don't really see that happening in France where they're going to run out of juice like you know um, I think a team will frustrate them at some stage maybe England because they'll absolutely go at their breakdown like I said and they might just be really physical and England are going to be dangerous if you write them off if England lose to Ireland and then they go up against France like they're going to be very dangerous but they're also going to be lacking more confidence as that goes on so no, I think, like, in theory, you don't see you don't see France. You shouldn't see them being stopped. If someone's calling that at the moment, I think it's a lucky guess. You know, they're, yeah. they're, there's just so much going with them. They've got the power and the flair that they've always had with the defensive structures now through Sean Edwards. That It's just, it's a, it's a really hard combination to get, uh, to get through. It's going to be a real tactical masterclass with a combination of players that just step up on a day to kind of upset them at the moment. Okay, talk to me about the uh, the Energy All Ireland League Women's Division final. I guess, I guess last round, if you like, for um, Railway Union against Black Rock Fiona, because it was a cracking match, twenty four eighteen, and plenty of drama. It had a bit of everything, and Railway come out and defend their league title. And um, what did you make of the game, first of all? Absolutely cracking game for television. Um, I was I was coaching myself earlier that day, you so I couldn't get up to it. Yeah. So um, so I was watching it on TV, and we had Setonians in the first game and Galwegians, and um, that railway Black Rock game was probably one of the the best games I've seen in a long time. It was super rugby, really really executed. Um, uh, you know things were done at a, a high intense speed. I think the the breakdowns and everything were probably two, three, four seconds max. So it was, it was just brilliant rugby to watch. I think Railway came out firing in the first 20, 30 minutes. And it was probably not till after the second half we saw BlackRock really kind of wake up and, and get themselves back in the game. So so it was it was brilliant. If it went on for another 10 minutes, it could have been anyone's game. I thought BlackRock were definitely coming back into it. But I think the thing for me, you as well, is is a lot of girls vying for an Irish jersey. It was a chance for them to put it on, on the stage. And a lot, a lot of Railway Union and Black Row players definitely put their hand up said hey Greg have a look at me well that's that's the huge point then isn't it I guess you know there was a lot of kind of you know winced eyebrow watching the uh the Scotland farce Columbia game look that just it was over before it even started mm-hmm. really but a lot of what ifs there in regards to the Irish situation so you feel that there is now more of a, of a, a strong talent pool for which Greg McWilliams can kind of come into it fresh and, and try and just reinvigorate this Irish team Definitely. And and you know what? What was really good you'd see as well is that those girls that had uh, done so well in the seventh circuit, they came back, yeah. they're playing rugby. I, we were playing Lucy, we were playing Wicklow, we were playing Lucy Mulhall and myself. I had a chat with her. She's so happy to be actually on a 15s clean uh, team playing rugby. So so they were told, go play rugby and you'll be judged off your performance, not what's going on in sevens. And those and and those girls, definitely Eve Higgins for, for Railway were, was Brilliant. excellent yeah. as well. So the, the pool is just getting bigger and bigger. There was some girls that maybe might have might not have made the squad or n- might not have been seen as good enough in Griggs' eyes and I think they put their hands up as well so it's going to be very interesting especially they had a camp already and none of the girls from that are playing over in England were involved so it's going to be very interesting when the, when the squad is announced I think it could be this week they're in camp this week will there be many overseas players on that squad? And it's brilliant Neil to have this national window now being able to watch the club game for the women's game you think how far 
I guess, you know, even since a couple of years ago, this wouldn't have even been entertained. I mean, a lot of people wouldn't even have the first clue about the women's club game and what clubs are involved and even some of the players around. The fact that it was televised at the weekend, the game was so good as well. Both games was massive, I thought. Yeah, absolutely. And just the, the spread of clubs, obviously, that are there. I know it's obviously a little bit more Dublin concentrated these days, yeah. but like I remember when I like what 10 plus years ago when I would have been becoming a, more and more aware and we all would have uh, about Irish women's rugby. And like as far as I was concerned, it was I think it was actually your UL Bowes team, Fiona, that it just seemed every year you were kind of blown past everyone. And now you've got a much greater spread. I know it's the Dublin teams that have taken over from UL Bowes now in the last couple of years. But look, you know, even as you were saying down in Cork playing with it, like it's Ballancolic, isn't it? That, that you, yeah. like, you know, they seem a relatively new team to be coming through. And I think the top four split coming up towards the Six Nations window as well obviously means that, you know, the bigger teams are playing against the better players week on week at the right stage leading up to the Six Nations. And I'd be curious as well, Fiona, to, to get your thoughts on like, what are the kind of, how do we have to kind of measure the expectations for the Six Nations now? Because obviously it's a, t- it's a time of transition for the Irish team, but also do we have to kind of factor in the fact as well that all the other teams in the Six Nations are building themselves towards a World Cup. So they might not necessarily be firing all cylinders in the Six Nations Championship. And is, is that an opportunity for Ireland? Yeah, I don't think it works as much as like that in the women's game because they, they don't have as many matches. So so I, I would imagine all the England, France, the likes will be putting out their, their full squads. But I think they'd want to be looking at winning all home games. I think it's... It's it's you know we France and England away the same as the the guys but I I think it's definitely a possibility I think there was there was other issues that were that came into place we we've chat about so many times before so I think it's a it's a it's a blank page now I think you're you're looking at a, a very very strong uh very 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 strong squad I've heard names of people who've been going up and down and you know they're kind of getting involved in gym work now so I, I think you'd be looking at those home games and and looking to to win those because there is that super competition where you. You know they want to finish in the top three in um the six nations because then you get the chance to go on and play the likes of new zealand or or, or canada or america so that that's something they, they they need to strive for now so they do have a goal yeah yeah 100 um and like as i say the six nations i guess we'll learn a little bit more about uh, mcwilliams mm-hmm. the style of play he wants to develop and some of those new players as we come towards the women's six nations johnny the ail i'm just looking at the table here so Contarf are, are nine points here at the top lansdowne terrenure and con fourth place, six ahead of a young Munster. So am I right in saying, like, same with my local club, it's, it's, it's a playoff system again for the league. Once you get to, the, okay, grand, because Raystone's top to, um, and they have to go into a playoff now as well, and you're waiting for all the permutations. Um, I saw Birch's Bective as well. They they, they topped their league um, against the Tonys at the weekend. They've got to go into a playoff now. Um, so, Con, are, are, you, are you kind of timing this one to peak at the perfect time? Like, don't, don't be paying any bit of blind notice with the forward place at the table at the moment. No, I, I wish we could say that. I mean, the last couple of years, we were probably blessed that we did go closer to the top. And just before the pandemic, we were kind of on a, an unbeaten run. And then this year just seems to be a little bit more stop start, unfortunately. But like, that's the way it is. Like, it's going to be a difficult year coming out of um, all, the, all the different stop start leagues and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it, it's grand to be in fourth and still having like... We, you know, you'd always feel once you get into fort, you can beat anyone on your day. You're going to have to probably go away from home. Well, you are going to have to go away from home if you only stay in fort. And there's probably only limited opportunities now to try and chase back to second. But um, it's uh, it's fairly competitive and it's great. But like Terenure are probably the ones that have caught people because they, they had a hard start and then all of a sudden they came good. They gave us um, a bit of an eye opener. So um, they're they're worth their value inside and third. And everyone's playing each other now at the top four as well. Like, you know, so um, we still have to play 
Clontarf and Lansdowne and your Munsters and I know Terry and you are playing uh, similar games if Clontarf and Lansdowne as well. And I think your Munsters were following their games. So everyone's playing against each other, but it's uh, it's highly competitive and it, it's always going to be difficult, you know, if you get to a final on hard surfaces against those. Yeah, other uh, I, I know. And you're going to play down all that kind of crap, but Shakur Khan, like, when they get to the semi final, you lads know how to win. And I certainly wouldn't be overlooking. And like, as you said, like the, the four best teams now are the top uh, four positions. Uh, Johnny and Kuntarf, you know, I, I guess are ahead. But as you said, like Lansdowne playing some crack and rugby as well. And the standard of the league this year, has, for anyone who's seen it, has been brilliant. I just think the games have been absolutely brilliant across the board. Yeah, it's unreal. Like, it is. And you've seen people are getting more and more interested in it again. Like, and, you mm. know, you get, like, Jack Crowley played with us last weekend. And it's great. Like, people are excited about that. And uh, Sean French and Alex McHenry are playing with us quite a bit. And, yeah. and you know, you, you talk to people about that. Like, it, it's actually great for our players, you know, whoever they are, whatever the level they're at, even if it's on a training pitch on a Tuesday and Thursday night, that's they're the, the shoulders you're, you're rubbing. So, like, I mean, the, the standard is, is up there. And every time you go to play against a team, you're kind of wondering, Who's going to be who's going to be on the opposition team? Like yeah. you know, will Scott Penny yeah. be playing with UCD? Like you know, this is yeah. this is what you're looking at every week. So it's um yeah, it's class. I like obviously I enjoy it. I'm involved in it, but um it, the the quality is is definitely better and better there. You know, no Limerick size inside the top four, lads. Well, Hugh, Hugh, unfortunately, I, I I'm an I'm an adopted Terran your man. Oh. All right, all right, they're my home club, but. No, I, I joined Terry your years ago when I moved up, moved up to Dublin. And uh, you know, all right, that was a good foresight taking you. I'm still I'm still playing a little bit. Of, I'm still playing some, playing some junior stuff. We're in a Metro final this coming Saturday against, uh, against Wesley. But no, just yeah. even like the last couple of weekends, I've been down in the in the club in Terry and yeah. And, I wasn't actually watching their game against Terenure at the weekend because we were playing on the pitch adjacent to it, so I just had half an eye over it. And a bit of a, slow, a bit of a slower pace. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be saying that. Yeah, no, there's, just, there's a fantastic atmosphere down there at the moment uh, with the way things are going. Like as Johnny said, they've ten wins in a row. Now they started three defeats in a row and then won ten on the spin. Yeah. And it like they've Clontarf this weekend. I think Clontarf have won nine in a row or something like that. So like it's just set up fantastically, but. It's just great. It just shows the buzz that's down there around the club scene. And you can just see even the crowds are picking up week on week. There's just a, a far greater excitement week on week. And it's just great to be involved in things like that, you know? No, it is. It's brilliant. And look, I, I know, look, we're all fans of this thing. So we're preaching to convert it here, Fiona. But um, yeah, no, it's just, it's a very exciting league this year. Look, regardless of who wins it as well, the table's shaping up pretty nicely at the moment. Yeah, my mother's a cookie, so um, I don't know what's oh, happened Christ. to your monsters. <laughs> they, they started, they started, this the opposite they, they started brilliantly. They started, and just yeah. Yeah. They started so good. Um, I think they've had a couple of few injuries. I think the front row in particular got hit. So I, I know and talked to a few people, that's, uh, that's, that's what they're saying anyway. But no, look, it's exciting. I, I went down to watch... Um, a few months back to, I, I did a weekend off and I decided to go to see more rugby I went to watch yourselves Johnny and uh, Trinity or Dublin University as they're called now and it was it was an absolutely cracking game you know they had a good few lads released from Leinster you had a few lads released as well and it was just the cohesion even seeing that you know these guys are probably only coming on the Thursday night to training and as a coach to be able to to, to fit them into a squad and it's going on week in week out up in Clontarf everywhere it's, it's really good and it's brilliant rugby to watch so exciting yeah, it is. Yeah, no. We've got Trinity again this week, and they're yeah. uh, they're always tough, like punch above their weight. And like Jack Dunn played that day, I think. Didn't yeah, he, he did. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Massive Brilliant. man. Like I think there was, yeah. there was some sort of silence before the game. I can't remember what it was for. And you're looking at the size of him, like he's he's a big man. So seeing people like that, you know, inside in the league, it's actually class. So it brings the standard up for everyone. 
Yeah, 100%. Okay, lads. Um, look, pleasure as always. Two games on RT television this weekend, by the way, in the uh, URC Ulster Cardiff on Friday night from Belfast. And on Saturday, it's uh, Treviso against uh, Leinster. We'll come back next week and preview England at Twickenham. Look, it's setting up very nicely. And uh, obviously, we'll go through uh, the permutations next week on the podcast. Thanks for your time, lads. Talk to you next week. The RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com.